I'm going to uh, pray by reading a section from Isaiah 25, uh, starting at verse 6, if you'd like to follow along. We are going to uh, discuss the resurrection today. I get the honor of teaching on that. It really is something I'm very excited to do because it's, this, it's Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, and so I feel like I get to help amp you up for that. So I'm excited, and I, my hope today is that you would see the, the hope and the power of the resurrection in an even more, um, a different light than what you have before. So let's pray. Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, and of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away every tear from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Father, it is my my hope, my uh, goal today, that I would rejoice in your salvation, and that I would worship and that as I, I worship and glory in your salvation, that my brothers and sisters would come along with me and that we would see your great goodness, your great power in swallowing up death forever. This is this resurrection, this hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is what sets us apart from other people. Our unity with him is what unifies us together. Father, may we t- today see you as greater and more powerful than what we have before. Amen. So, talking about the resurrection, and I want to give a simple outline. We're not going to talk so much about the uh, physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is important. I want to gloss over that. But what I want to do is talk about more of the implications of the resurrection. So the outline here would be that our enemy is powerful. Death is our enemy. He's called our enemy. He's the last enemy to be defeated, and he's powerful. But God is more powerful, and this is what he's done. And then the last point we're going to show you, therefore, live this way. So in light of the fact that your enemies have been defeated, and that the Lord is more powerful, and that he's given you power, that implies necessarily you should live a certain way, and that you have the ability to live that way. So, uh, this topic has become uh, more and more precious to me, and particularly over the last year, having lost a brother, and... uh, 
death is, it's not just dying. Death is not just at work when people die. Death is at work in you right now. And when James passed away, I realized that. That death is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care how old you are. He doesn't care uh, if, if you're a guy or a girl. Uh, he doesn't care. He, it will destroy you and it works in you right now. And so I would talk to people, man, I've got this arthritis in my elbow. And it would make me tear up because I realized that's, that's death at work within them. And that is them passing away. That is, that is the power of death. Isaiah said, uh, I will swell up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. So he sees death like a canopy. And, it, and it's over all of us. And we all live inside of this, this kingdom of death. And it works within us. So point one, the power of death and sin. Immeasurable power was worked in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I use the word power because I, I don't actually know of another word to use there. I wish I had a more powerful word than the word powerful. Because it, it's, it's God taking the hands of the clock and turning them backwards. Or, or drying up the ocean, or the Psalm 46 talks about mountains being cast into the heart of the sea. It was something that changed the world. And you say, well, people were resurrected before, weren't they? There was Lazarus, there was uh, that ruler's daughter, there was way back in the Old Testament, Elisha raised a boy from the dead. So what's the difference here? When Jesus was raised, he was raised to never die again. That's the difference. He did not... So Lazarus raised. The difference between Jesus and Lazarus. Lazarus raised and Lazarus died again. Death was still working in him. Death was still uh, corrupting his physical being. When Jesus raised, Jesus raised to never die again. He defeated death. That was the difference there. That is the power of our Lord Jesus came. Death came with sin, making death and sin inseparable. That's point A. Death came with sin, making death and sin inseparable. Genesis 2.17, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, because on the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So when sin entered the world, death entered with it. Ezekiel 18.20, the soul that sins shall die. And then we all know Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin are death. So if you sin, you die. That is why... It is logically necessary that Jesus have raised from the dead. If Jesus was going to completely defeat sin forever, it is logically necessary that he defeat both death and sin. So let me show you this to you from 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 17. For if the dead are not raised... Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And so in that that little logic chain there, he went there. He went from, if the dead are not raised, you're still in your sins. So there were these two sects in the Jewish thought, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. One believed in resurrections, the other didn't. And I can see how one denied that there was a resurrection because Old Testament references to resurrection are obscure. I only know of three. There's two in Isaiah and one in Job. So Old Testament references to resurrection are just really obscure. 
And, and some are saying, apparently from what Paul is arguing here, that there's no resurrection of the dead. And Paul's saying, if you don't have the resurrection of the dead, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then you are still in your sins. How does that work? It's because death and sin are connected. A symbol. A, a physical representation that Jesus defeated sin was the fact that he raised from the dead. Because he is reversing the effects of the fall. What were the effects of the fall? Of the day you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. He's reversing the effects of the fall. Sin is defeated. Then death must also be defeated because death and sin are in this symbiotic relationship. You, you are, you are a soul and a body. We call that the duality of man. And what happens is that death is, is something that was never designed to happen to man. So when God created man, he, made, he formed him out of the dust of the earth and he breathed the breath of God, life into him. He breathed the spirit of life into him. So man is a soul and he is a body. And what happens at death is your soul and your body are separated. Something that was never, ever designed to happen. And your body stays on earth and your soul goes to heaven. And that's just... It's not the way it was supposed to be. It still strikes me as strange to think that uh, that John McKenzie will one day be pulled apart because of the corruption. That is, when I say that death is powerful, death is really powerful. To do something to your being that was never designed uh, to happen. But in the goodness of God, he has allowed it to happen. So you can see death is powerful. It does something to you that's not supposed to happen in separating your soul from your body. But if death is that powerful, then God must be infinitely more powerful. That's why I wish I had another word than power, because then I could use the word power for death in this other word to talk about the immeasurable greatness of God in removing death and in removing sin. So, if sin and death are connected, and death came in the world because of sin, there's a question that some of you may be asking. Is death punishment for sins? A death is not punishment for sins for believers, point B. Death is not a punishment for believers. How do we know this? Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Death is not a punishment. God, God allows us to feel the effects of redemption over time. You are not saved and instantly transported to heaven. There is a progressive sanctification before there is glorification. So you are headed towards glorification, but you progressively feel the effects of redemption over time. Death is not a punishment to you. Death is a way of God uh, working redemption in you. It is a way of him removing further the effects of the fall. Why, why do believers then feel these effects? If God's supposed to remove these effects, if God is supposed to r- remove them, then why do we feel the effects? It's for our good. Romans 8, 29 and 30. It's for our good. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Let me flip over there real quick because there's a little bit of a chain there 
that I want you uh, to hear. So Romans 8, starting at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So there is a, a progression there. There is not just one and then the other. It's the Lord working in us over time to give us the effects of redemption. And then Hebrews 12, it talks about discipline. And why does God discipline? He disciplines us for our good. That, And it specifically says in there, that we might share in His holiness. Discipline is not always necessarily, all right, son, you did something wrong, you're going to get three swats. That's not... That is not always discipline. Discipline is also doing something hard because it is good for you. Why do you guys work out? Well, they have a goal and they want to, they either want a physique or they want to be healthy or they just want more muscle. So they do something really hard that makes them sweat. It is, it is sowing some, discipline is sowing something difficult and reaping a benefit. And so the Lord is is sowing in us things that are difficult in our lives, like death, to reap a benefit. The benefit is His holiness. The benefit is His holiness. Hebrews 2.15 Christ became like us in part. Well, actually, Christ became like us to deliver us from sin. There is no in part to it. Uh, He became like us to deliver us from sin. So Hebrews 2.15. Now let me start at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, becoming flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Christ became like us. He became like a man. So that he could die. And it's very interesting the way that this passage presents it. Because the way that it presents it, it presents it like the devil is wielding death like a sword. And Christ comes to earth and he becomes like us. So he puts himself kind of under the power of death. And so the the devil takes the sword and strikes him down. And then there's a lot of irony. Because in being struck down by death, he used death to defeat death. And through the power of death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. When Christ came and he died, he was put under that that power of death for a time. So that he might raise again for our benefit. And we would have the the victory through Christ over death. Death is the last enemy to be defeated. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. Last enemy defeated is death. So death is not a punishment for believers. Death is very powerful, though. Then this this comes to the next question. So if, if death is powerful and it affects our physical being... But death is not a punishment for believers. Then point C, physical death, what is it? Physical death is rest for a believer. Let me just, I I want to overwhelm you 
with the way that the Bible talks about death for believers, especially. So Matthew 9, 24 is the story of the ruler's daughter that Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus comes into the room. He sees all the flute players and the mourners, all the people weeping for the girl and says, go away. For the girl is not dead, but sleeping. She was dead. She was dead, but she was about to be raised. Jesus, speaking of Lazarus, says, He said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to wake him up. Acts 760 is the stoning of Stephen. Stephen looks up to heaven and he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And we said this, he fell asleep. And then 1 Corinthians 15, several passages from there, verse 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers over at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Uh, verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ. Verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We go on here if I can flip my pages. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are fallen asleep. Paul continues this language throughout 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. Revelation 14, 13, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Some people do something ridiculous with the passages I just showed you. Some people look at those passages and they say, all right, death is soul sleep. Because the Bible keeps talking about it. Oh, they fell asleep. Oh, they fell asleep. Oh, they fell asleep. They're resting. And so that's what happens to your soul. There is nothing in there that makes me think that happens to your soul. In fact, that's ridiculous looking at even one of the passages in Revelation. Uh, oh, I don't have it on here, but Revelation 6. It's the, poor, it's the opening of the seven seals. When Christ opens the seventh seal, all the martyrs gather around the soul. It says the souls of those who have been martyred for the Lord Jesus Christ. They gather around the throne and they say, Lord, how long until you avenge our blood? And the Lord looks at them and says, rest. A little while longer from your labors. And so the souls of believers aren't sleeping there. In fact, the souls of believers are doing something that you and I do right now. They are entreating God to do something. It's as if they're praying to Him. So we don't fall asleep. We're not just, I don't know, whatever happens when you sleep, dreaming, blackness. That's not what's happening. You are, however, at rest. You are resting from your labors on earth. And in fact, we, we, we even now, I don't know if you recognize this or not, this was kind of a new thought for me when I started thinking about it. We do this all the time in the Western culture. We recognize that when people die, they are resting. That's why on like tar- cartoon uh, outlines of tombstones, you'll see R.I.P., rest in peace. And uh, Cave Hill Cemetery in Louisville, Kentucky, we'd walk through there and you would see a Latin phrase, requiem in pace, rest in peace. It is easily recognized among our culture that when people are dead, it is much less like them being dead, like annihilation, and is a lot more like them sleeping because they will rise again. It is not permanent. Death is not the end. Death is a rest for believers. It is resting from it is resting from your struggles of sin. It is resting from all of your labors in life. 
you have aches and pains because you're growing old? You're resting from those. You're resting from striving. Like the, the, uh, the martyrs thought about resting from striving against the devil. That's why they were able to... They were, martyrs were so willing. They recognized that, look, you can, the best you can do is kill me. But that really just lets me rest. And it, and it uh, was a struggle they saw that ended. A struggling between them and Satan. They saw themselves as in the midst of a war between God and, and the devil. And they were in the middle. And they chose obedience rather than life. Because they saw Christ has already granted them life. So death is powerful. Death is very powerful. It's not a punishment. And it's more like rest for believers. It's how you should think about it. It's how you should think about those who pass in the Lord. They are resting. So what then is the hope? Because right now, what we've logically come to is the fact that you're dead. So there's got to be more than that. There's got to be hope for the resurrection. Uh, because my title has it, so. The Westminster, so point two, the hope of the resurrection. Westminster Shorter Catechism. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? The souls of believers are at their death, made perfect in holiness, and do immediately pass in the glory. And their bodies, still being united to Christ, do rest in their graves. Until the resurrection. I love just the question. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? I love that question because it assumes that even after you die, you're still receiving benefits from Christ. (laughs) What an assumption. Nobody would have thought to ask that question unless they knew Christ has given us benefits both for this life and the next. We have to move on though. So let's break this down a little bit and walk through it and talk about the hope that is there from resurrection. I I chose this because I feel like catechisms do a really good job at drawing a whole bunch of teachings of Scripture together in very, very specifically worded, compact ways that are faithful. So that's why we've chosen this. So point A, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness. So God uses death. Now, that's a punishment. We've talked about this a little bit already. But as a means of conforming us to the image of Christ, as is his intentions with the rest of life circumstances. Uh, Romans 8.28, what is the good? So for God works all the things together for good. What is the good that he promised there? Conforming us to the image of Christ. We've already talked about Hebrews 12 and that God disciplines us so we'll share in his holiness. Okay, so point B. Moving on very quickly there. And, God, and do immediately pass. So the souls of believers are made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. That's important because there is no purgatory. There is no Amen. That's right. There is no such thing as purgatory. There is no such thing as you continuing to be punished or somehow have to earn righteousness, kind of climbing up the circular staircase to heaven. There is no such thing. Second uh, Corinthians 5.18, or 5.8, excuse me. So why is there no such thing? There is no such thing because the Bible doesn't talk about such a thing. Here's what it talks about, Second Corinthians 5.8. Yes, we're of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Philippians 1.23. 
I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to part and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Luke twenty three forty three. This is the thief on the cross. We learn a lot from the thief on the cross. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. To be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. There, there is no other step. It's like, it's like Elijah when he was taken away in the chariots of fire. The angel of the Lord's come down and they take you up and into his presence. And what you have longed for and what you have waited for all of your life becomes a reality. You will push out your last breath and breathe in celestial air. You will be at home with the Lord. And what else do we know? You'll be at rest at home with the Lord. Something that I really long for is being an engaged man as I long to be at rest with my wife. So I'm not married yet, but I will be one day. Lord will. And I long to be just at rest because right now I have a lot of things I have to think about and have to consider and, and appropriately so like we shouldn't be alone together because we don't want to you know think about temptation we don't want to there are certain topics we just don't talk about there are certain things we just don't do and we just don't do don't do don't do don't do don't do and one day it is going to be perfectly okay for us to be alone and in fact people people will pay for trips where it's like you should just go be alone with your wife and that is good. And that is good. And you're at rest with them. And that is, that is the kind of feeling we will get from the Lord. There will be no more worries, no more sorrows, no more pain, no more tears. Rest with the Lord. It's a sweet thought. It is a sweet thought. Uh, the thief on the cross. We learn a lot from him. We learn that you don't have to be baptized to be saved. And we learn that when you die, you go right to heaven. I mean, he was, <laughs> the guy was being killed because he was a thief. If the Lord said to him, you will be with me in paradise today. I mean, there's, there's no one in the world that the Lord will not save and give the full benefits of redemption. So, see, what's the, the hope? The grounds is what I'm thinking of there, of our resurrection. Why can we say with absolute confidence and with absolute certainty, when John McKenzie dies, when I die, I will be with God in glory? How can I say that and not be considered a nutcase? Christ was raised. Christ was raised. We want to talk about the necessity of the resurrection. The necessity of the resurrection is if Christ was not raised, you are still in your sins and you will also not be raised. So going back to the catechism and their bodies still being united to Christ. It is not just your soul that is united to him. Your whole being is united to him. That's why you get benefits from Christ after death 
And because your body is still united to Christ, that is why you will be physically resurrected as he was physically resurrected. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, he made us alive together with Christ. Colossians 3, 1, if you have been raised with Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with him into his presence. Romans 8.11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Romans 8.31-39, your resurrection is as secure as Christ's throne in heaven. That's the one that talks about there is nothing in all of creation, neither height nor depth nor death nor life nor anything in all creation that can separate us. That can separate us from the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 6. Talking about unity with Christ. If you guys ever think about unity with Christ, you've got to go to Romans 6. Let's flip over to Romans 6. If you have not deeply studied this chapter, you need to. Romans 5, Romans 6. This, this is fuel for your spiritual life. This is fuel for fighting sin. It is fuel for getting excited about heaven and for not being defeated or overcome by all of the weight of things you have in life. I'm going to start at verse 4. Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For no one who has died, for everyone, for, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ died and raised from the dead. We will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Unity with Christ is the basis of the foundation of your resurrection. That is why Paul spent over 56 verses. What did he spend? 60 in 1 Corinthians 15? He went on and on and on and on and on and on and on about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ because he understood. He understood, guys, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, your hope is in vain. He says that your hope is in vain. And you of all men are most to be pitied. You are pitiful people. You need to think about that. You're a pitiful person. Well, what makes you pitiful? I used to think that, that we were pitiful because we're missing an all on, out of, on all of the enjoyments of sin in this world. I used to think that was true. Um, no. I think we're people who are meant to be pitied because we are exactly what... If Christ didn't raise from the dead, we are exactly what the world says we are. We are fanatics. Religion is a crutch. It's the opiate of the masses. Um, and you're, you're all just a bunch of weirdos because nobody wakes up at five in the morning to read an ancient manuscript. 
I mean, it's like somebody waking up at five in the morning to read Homer. Nobody does that. (laughs) And on top of all of that, you have the really, really pitiful people who went and spent thousands of dollars to learn how to do it in the original languages. But that's only true if Christ didn't raise from the dead. If Christ did raise from the dead. Now that's a game changer. Christ did raise from the dead. I want to talk about more implications later, but right now I want to talk about the second grounds. What's the second reason? I can have certainty that I will rise with Christ. The Spirit dwells within us. So, your unity with Christ... And the fact that the Spirit dwells within us, Romans 8.11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. So because the Spirit lives in you, you will be resurrected. The Spirit, this is not outside of um, thinking theologically, this is not outside of the, the work and the role of the Spirit in creation and in regeneration. Uh, the Spirit brings life. The Spirit gives life. It only makes sense that He would also, as He gave life to Christ's um, physical body, He would also do so to ours. And that as He has redeemed us from all sin and given life to our souls, He would do so to our bodies. He redeeming us as whole people. And in Ephesians 1.14, the Spirit is called the seal of our inheritance. And one thing that we inherit from Christ is the resurrection. You have the Spirit, your resurrection is guaranteed. You are united with Christ, your resurrection is guaranteed. You have no reason to worry. You have no reason to worry. So then, what are some applications, implications, um, inferences that we can apply to our own lives? If all of this is true... If death is incredibly powerful, that it can separate your soul and your body, but it's not so powerful that it's more powerful than God. Because God is way more, God is way more powerful if he can reverse the effects of the fall. And if we receive benefits from Christ at the, at the resurrection, then how should we, how should we then live? So Romans 6 very clearly tells us you should live in light of resurrection power. You should live in the light of the fact that you are going to be resurrected. And that that your unity with Christ means that as Christ uh, was obedient to God, so you can be obedient to God. And as Christ did not submit to sin, so you no longer have to submit to sin. You are free. You are free because you participated in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You participated in his death and you're going to participate in his life. So, how do I explain this? You, it's it's a Puritan thought. You live right now. Preparing yourself for heaven. You live in such a way to prepare yourself for heaven. And when one of the Puritans died, they talked about it in in terms of he was a man fit for heaven. Killing sin. Talking about mortifying sin. In heaven, you are going to be holy for this 
unholy must put on the holy, and this immortal must put on the Im- for immortality. You're going to be made holy, so live holy now. And the Lord uses things, Hebrews 12 again, to help us share in his holiness. Death is one of those things. Live for heaven now. You should be disciplined in holiness. You should be disciplined in holiness. If you're going to be resurrected and you're going to be worshiping God in heaven, you must start now or you will never enjoy it then. So what does that mean? Being disciplined in holiness. Nothing incredible, but it could be life-changing. It's reading your Bible, memorizing the scriptures. It is a barometer of your spiritual life. Do you read the Word of God? Do you fellowship with Him? Do you pray? Do you love His people? I don't know if you're spiritually healthy. That is how you know. Do I love the people of God? Am I participating with them? And there is this, uh, don't, don't, don't feel like they, they have to be the ones. They have to be the ones to come to me. I used to think that way too. That's, <laughs> there's a word for that and it's selfish. You shouldn't wait for other people because they got the same command you did. And your obedience is not, is not, um, tethered to their obedience. So if, oh, he's obedient, I'll be obedient. No. You be obedient. You seek fellowship with them. You seek unity with them. And the resurrection, it should change the way you view aging. It should change the way you view or you think about your own death. It is, like I said at the beginning, it's after James died, I looked around at people and all I could think was death is working in them. Death is working in them. But aging, it shows something. It shows that even though you feel closer to Christ every day, you don't have all the benefits. Those are still to come. It's a reminder. We don't live in the presence of the full presence of God yet. So Revelation talks about a city. A city that is coming. A city where there is no light. Need for light in that city. For the Lord himself is the light of that city. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Look at all those lights above us. There's lots. I don't know. I haven't counted them. If I was a kid and this building was built, I could tell you how many lights there were. But there will be no need for light in that city. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Are you aging? Still for your aches? Because he's coming. He's coming and he's not here yet. Don't think that this life is great. Because it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Just change the way you view your own death. Think about the way you talk about your death. We are all going to die unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns. We're all going to die. And that's a good thing. And it's hard. It's hard to think that uh, my parents sitting back over there are going to die one day. And it should make me sad. It is only right that I would cry because of it. And I believe that 
those who have died, who follow the Lord, that should make us cry. And it's fine. And it's right. Because we lose something when they die. So they gain something. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> we lose something. We lost fellowship with them. I, I, I don't get to seek out the wizard. Something I wish I had done before James died was I, I had intended to call him and ask him what he thought about um, what was a good decision on a political candidate because he, he had a good way. I don't even know if that's like, well, that's weird. The, he, he had a way of knowing what was going on and he cared about it and he loved the Lord. So he was able to, to bring his love for the Lord into the thoughts of political candidates, which is not something I did because I'm not as into that sort of stuff as he was. And I don't get to do that anymore. And that's sad. And it should make me sad. Because I lost that fellowship. But I'll get that fellowship back again. It's not it's not the end. He is resting from our late, late, his labors. But, uh, but we fight on. Struggle against sin. And we hope to be where he is one day. And uh, the last point here, obedience to God should be more valuable than life because he's already promised life. He's already promised life. You be faithful. If someone threatens you, so how do our brothers and sisters in Pakistan, in the Middle East, and all of these other places, how on earth, how on earth do they do it? They go day after day, not knowing if they're going to die, meeting in secret, worrying about the government hiding things, illegal things in their house. You had weapons hidden in your house, and so we're taking you to jail. And how do they, how do they make it through that? Because their hope is here. Because they recognize obedience is way more valuable than this life. Because in this life, Jesus said, you're going to have troubles. You're going to have trials. But... Take heart. I overcame the world. Don't fear. Don't fear them. Don't fear the people who can destroy just your body. <laughs> You're going to die anyways, and I've already promised to give you a new one, to give you a better one. I've already united with me, you with me. Don't fear those people. Rather, fear the Lord, who can, who can cast both soul and body into hell. Obedience. Obedience is better than, than this temporary life. That's why... That's what helps motivate martyrs. And, and so that's a big example. What about our little examples? Because none of us have death threats coming to our door or the government hiding things in our houses to try and get us to go to jail. Um, it means something much smaller for us. It means that uh, as, as the Lord Jesus Christ died for his bride, the wife, so husbands must die for their wife. They must do those things that are hard, like when they come home, they're still on duty even after they've worked all day. That's what it means. It means that we continue to meet with and struggle alongside those brothers and sisters who are just frankly hard to love and uh, who you wish they would just get over their sin for crying out loud. You struggle along with them and remain with them because that's the obedience the Lord has called you, you to.
and and their struggle, the end of their struggle is coming. It's resting. You should remind them of that. Like, look, this is not the end. Your hope, it is in heaven. Your hope is in Christ. Your hope, it's not here. Your hope is hidden with the Lord. I, I talked with a brother this week, struggling with something. And it was something he, he was being tempted to draw on back into. So he wasn't continuing to sin in old ways. He had defeated those habits and some stuff was happening in his life and he was feeling a draw back to these old addictions. And I, uh, he, just, he, was, he was really sad. Terribly, terribly discouraged. And I said, um, brother, where's your hope at? And he said, my, my hope is in Christ. And I said, and where's Christ? He said, it's in heaven. That's right. And you're headed to him. And he is preparing you for heaven. He's preparing you for holiness. I encourage them uh, to read Hebrews 12. Because the Lord disciplines us that we might share in his holiness. So, where is our resurrection? Where is our, our hope at? It's in, it's in these words. Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn... They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood beside them in blazing apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground, and the two men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. That is our hope. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ has risen. We should go and live in light of that. Uh, let me pray real quick. Father, your goodness, your greatness, it is displayed to us in the resurrection. And there is so much more here than what I was able to get to. Lord, I pray for myself because I want to live in light of the resurrection. I want to become a holy man. I want to become a man prepared for heaven. I want to be a man who is not um, tied down, tethered to sin. I want to live united to Christ where sin is broken and righteousness comes from the Lord. Lord, help us, encourage us, especially this week as we think about what the Lord has done in removing sin through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Lord, it is the, the pinnacle of, of uh, history up to this point that the Lord Jesus Christ would come and redeem, start the process of redemption in your creation. Lord, help us to live every day in a way that honors Christ. Amen.